Welcome back to the Drop Pod, a Warhammer 40k podcast. I'm your host, Garrett, and I'm joined by Blake. Blake, how's it going? Good. How are you doing today, Garrett? I'm good. Played some some hoops this morning. I Every time I play hoops, my fucking stomach gets like w- tied into a knot, and it hurts for like hours afterwards, no matter what I do. Empty stomach, full stomach. Full stomach is a tragedy. That's really bad, but it doesn't matter what I do. Top tier athleticism. <laughs> yeah, that's what that is, for sure, for sure. We played with the uh, the local, well, not this morning, but the other night. We played with the local um, boys varsity team. Oh, nice. Yeah, we had a six man squad, and they had like a twelve man. They're like twelve man deep, dude. We won. Wow. Yeah, bunch of fucking people that like, at minimum are at least ten years older than them, <laughs> which yeah. would usually be an advantage, but. Not when they're 18. Yeah, they, they, you would think they would just go to run circles around you, but you know what? I mean, they basically did. It was definitely like a game of uh, like technique is what is what won. Like, you know, fundamentals. Yeah, right. Is what won. So yeah. Classic Fall Mountain uh, basketball leaning on their, uh, not their basketball talent, but their uh, athleticism. Yeah, yeah. So they were really fast, but we ended up winning. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, we have like cherry-picked our six man squad was like some of the best players over like a decade period. <laughs> the old Not Jedediah player. Yeah. Jed was there. Kai and Joey. Pat Allen was there. Oh God. That's a superstar. Team. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, that's like, that's like it, MVP. It for them. That's like MVP for like four years in, in different classes down the line. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it was tough, tough for them, but you know, Hey, yeah, was, you gotta learn, you gotta learn game. somehow, you know? Yeah. We were like been playing, just with a bunch of old dudes, not old dudes, but the older generation during the week. And I got there and I walked in, I saw all these like really like skinny, like stringy kids. And I was like, Oh fuck dude, they're going to run us up and down this court. You're, which they like, did. you're like, damn, I got, I didn't stretch enough for this. Yeah, I did. Winded bad. So yeah, that's how, that's how my day's going playing basketball. So that's, that's nice. Um, you said you finished the book you're on, right? Yep, finished finished the uh, buried dagger. Pretty good, um, you know. Uh, got a lot of insight on um, the uh, knights errant. That was kind of cool. Um, you know how Loken kind of exited them. How we got how we got the sword. How Garrow kind of exited because eventually they they actually don't be, they become like not knight errants. Yeah, what do they become like? Just no no master. Well, they end up serving. Um, what's his name? Well, I know Loken does. Ends up working yeah. for Malkador. Again? So, uh, not after the Siege of Terra. Yeah, well, right. Well, yeah. So okay. after, so before the Siege of Terra, Malkador releases Garrow and takes nine, the nine other Knights Errant. And then before they went off to the webway to do whatever they were going to do, Loken's like, yeah, no, I'm not taking this random ass name. I'm staying here. I'm facing Horus. And Malkador's like, all right, like you're gonna die though, and he's like, that's fine. I'm, I'd rather die facing them than just go off and die somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in this. Uh, he's in the end of the Death Flame too, which is what we're talking about today. Yep, which we haven't mentioned. Can't wait. Uh, yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, before we do that, obviously that's what I finished. That's the book I just finished. Um, what are you working on on the uh, the hobby side of things? Yeah, finishing up Terminators, and I actually got the Casterkin squad, like, finally finishing. I just need to kind of decorate their bases, but, like, they're they're done, so um, 
I joined a recent, I joined a kill team discord with one of my, my buddies clays running at our store. So, um, they're going to be playing like every Wednesday or the first Wednesday of every um, month. So I'm going to try to get over there and do a little more kill team. Um, yeah, cool. just cause there's a crew, there's a crew that's organized and that's kind of, it's kind of the easy first step when trying to make time is when it's an organized day every month. Yeah. And you just know it's going to happen. Yeah. You just show up, you go, if, and if, if no one else shows up, all right, you go home. If uh, people show up, you got a game or two. Yeah. Cool. But how about you? What are you working on? The big night still. Mm. I may have, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fuck up, but I may have kind of, sort of fucked up. So there was one thing that I couldn't spray with the airbrush because it was like already attached to the night, and I wanted it to be like the jade color of the rest of the armor. And so I just like layered up to uh, highlights like conventionally with a, with a brush. Uh, yeah. and it looks pretty good, but it does not fit like everything else. Oh, you can you can see that that it was kind of not airbrushed on. Yeah, like it looks, it actually looks way better than than the than the airbrush parts did. Cause I didn't oh, really? As, as hmm. like highlighty contrast, I can send you a picture of it. Yeah, definitely. And so now I'm just pulling RF one piece at a time and doing the same thing over all the armor panels. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really just buckle up and went for it, I guess. But it'll it'll definitely it'll make a better looking night by the by the end of it for sure. Yeah, I mean the thing is you got to do that another night. But again, how how many big nights are you actually gonna have? Two. Or three. I'm gonna have. Right now, I have two quest doors. I have right. only have one built, and I'm painting it. The other right. one's not even built. I have four armatures. I want to have at least one more quest doors, one lancer, and then one of the dominus class, like the mm-hmm. the, the shooty one. The yeah, I'll, like, I'll magnetize it. The Castellan. The like walking, the like walking fortress looking one. Like yeah, and I have some bits that is gonna make it taller, like maybe an, even an inch taller. Uh, or something like that's that. that's right. That that because that one's gonna be your warlord, right? Yeah, yeah, and my household is like going to be related to like me and my personal life. So the one I'm doing right now is like the night suit that my wife was te- is like technically the one driving or you know piloting it. Oh, that's cool, man. That's awesome. So she's she's a teacher. So what I'm going to do on the side this is be if I can pull this off and have it look half decent, I'll be happy. It'll be like um, a sword and a quill since she's a teacher and she's the role she's going to fulfill in the night household is like training the like the people that are like new like the new knights in the armagers or if someone just stepped up to a questor's class she's basically the master of training because she's hmm. a teacher in real life so i'll have like a crossed quill and sword on, on one pauldron hopefully i cannot wait to see all this lore to come together uh, already <laughs> i'm already thrilled to see hear what every other night will be represented yeah so i gotta get my dog in there oh gotta yeah get, yeah gotta do everything so I'll, I'll, yeah i gotta work out all that shit so anyhow that's where i'm at nice yeah exciting times yeah. Yep. Yeah, exciting um, times, yeah. New Necron comes out uh, next yep. week, so that's next week. that's exciting. Um, yeah, Legion's Imperialis today. Yep, yeah, that was yeah. Like I said, I was telling you earlier, I did get to kind of see them firsthand. They're pretty cool, um, but you know, yeah. I think you got to commit to the, a whole new game. That that'll be that'll be the toughest selling point. Dude, for, it's the time. It's the yeah, time. It's, exactly. It's just it's. I can't even play one game of 40k a week right now. How am I going to play a nut like another system? put like 40 hours into the thing and then maybe play it once to top off how and you got to then find someone else who's in that same mindset yeah so no it's it's i would still love to like it would be cool maybe like years down the road yeah maybe decades when i retire (laughs) it's the retired 40k like which is yeah back in my day back in my well there'll there'll be a new one dude maybe they'll do epic 40k by then so you could have orcs or whatever you want oh that'd be cool that'd be really cool. cool that'd be cool so we good. We 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 hit the, the preamble well enough. Oh, one more I thing. Think so. Yeah. Oh, there. No. Not not quite yet. Yeah. Not not quite. Uh, 
our intro music is shit, and so is our thumbnail because I, I'm not an artist of any sort. So if somebody listening out there wants to make intro music, something like Grimdark or Gothic, or wants to make a thumbnail for the drop pod, maybe some sort of drop pod doing something, something simple, send it to us. Don't spend too long on it. Um, but if we use it, we I'll, I will send you a $25 voucher to Games Workshop. So sounds like go. sounds like a good deal, word, people. Yeah, the word is out. Uh, I have to like it's one that I'm, like there's only gonna be one of each if you guys actually do it. So hopefully it's good. And don't use fucking AI to just make one because I could do that. <laughs> so all right, put some effort into it, people. Yeah, put more effort than we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, yeah. Okay, the end of the death volume two. This one. It has the the fabled, probably second most uh, famous, like, 1v1 in 40k of all time, I yeah. think. Horus um, for Sanguinius? Is there anything, yeah, like, uh, more other than, obviously, Horus for Stamperer? I was going to say, other than that, no. There's really no no other real comparison. Everyone, Everything else is... Yeah, like, what or, even comes close to that? Anything Petrobo touches. <laughs> yeah. But all even right. that. Even that. So, the book begins in a strange place, begins on the craft world of Ulthway, hmm. which is obviously where uh, Eldred, Ulthren is the, the Farseer, like one of the greatest Farseers of all time, and the Harlequins arrive on Ulthway, and they begin to do like this dance, uh, it's all like the dance of the end or something like that, and all the El- like a bunch of different Eldari show up, we've talked about this in the last episode, a bunch of different Eldari uh, from different craft worlds show up. And they're sort of watching the dance happen and trying to, you know, interpreting what's going on. And this is the first time Harlequins have been to a craft world since the birth of Slanesh, which hasn't been too crazy. I mean, it's probably been like a couple thousand years, but not crazy, crazy long. Uh, so Eldred is kind of being like questioned over like, what what is he seeing in the future? What is he seeing by other Farseers? Because they can't see anything. And he's like, there is nothing to, there, there's nothing to see because there is no future. I can't see anything. There's no future for us. Like, we're all going to die because of what the stupid, the stupid monkeys have done, dude. They're fucking everything <laughs> up. So this is when I mentioned that the, um, that I don't know who it is from, I can't remember what her name is, but it's, it's a dark Eldar from Komara shows up and she explains how the Hellarquins have been there and performed the dance and she's, she's seen it before. And that the dance is not actually the dance of the end, but it was like a dance of like the beginning or like the apotheosis and like the birth of the Dark King. And then Eldred's like, oh, we're so fucked. Like we're, we're beyond fucked. We can't, we're all going to die. That's when, that's when they realize that, that they're really screwed. So anyhow, they, so they, kind of, they, they know what the Dark King is. That's the, the yes, this is like know. something that has been foretold for like a long time across many races. So including they, humanity, as we discussed, as we right. discussed before. Yeah. So like, did they always know it was going to be horary? Uh, they, I don't think they know who it was going to be. They, they just, just know. like see the portents that it's going to happen. Okay, okay. Or re or yeah, Farsi, whatever you want to call it. I don't know how the Harlequins can see this by dancing, and an Eldrad can't. But I don't know. Maybe there's Harlequin Farseers that surpass even him. I don't know how that works. So it comes cuts from them. That's the last time we hear anything about. Uh, Eldari for the rest of the book, as it should be. Yes. So it starts off. This is this was funny because I um 
when this happened, I like paused the book and messaged Matt. The, the So Dan Abnett is the writer for all three of these books. And this, I, I think, is the second or third chapter. Anyhow, the chapter name is Pandemonium. And you hear Jonathan Cable say, Pandemonium. And you're like, and my instantly my ears perked up. I was like, what? Pandemonium? And the first sentence is talking about Constantine Valdor. And I was like, oh, fuck you, Dan. You did it to us. Because <laughs> we know that the next book in the Beckwin series is, is called Pandemonium, where we're right. trying to figure out like what is happening with Constantine Valdor in the 40K setting. Right. And, and he, he knew what he was doing. Oh, absolutely. He literally, it says Pandemonium. Then like 10 words later, it's talking about Constantine Valdor. So, uh, so Valdor and his company has been split up from the Emperor and in, in his Heteron when they went on this. It was it was called, I don't know if we talked about it before, but it's called Operation Anabasis, which has its own like backstory and lore that ties into like real world mythology. Anyhow, that is the the teleport strike onto the Vengeful Spirit. Uh, the Biggie Emperor and his Heteron are in one place, and the Constantine Valdor and all of his guys are in another place. And so what it, basically what that, what that chapter is saying is that Constantine and his custodians are in the a, a fight worse than they could have ever possibly imagined. Like, it is going horribly. They I think they went in with, like, 50, and then 43 seconds into it, there's, like, under 20 of them left of custodians. That's substantial. Yeah, it's horrible. It's, like, the worst thing ever. And... In the previous book, when they first get there, he kills, like, several demons as soon as he arrives, and then his power sword burns out, and it says, one uh, a master-crafted power, basically a relic for the ages, because it's Constantine Valdor's, is burned out, it's destroyed, it's done for, and it's been, like, four seconds, because of, oh. like, the amount of use and shit it got, and just how awful the place they're in, because they're on the Vengeful Spirit, the Vengeful Spirit is basically, like, a living demon, and so that's when he draws his um, like relic one-off spear. I can't remember what it's called. But basically he kills things or stabs things with the spear. And then he gains like the entire knowledge, like the name of that thing and all of like everything he needs to, he needs to know about that thing. He knows it because the spear has like pierced it. And so he pierces the wall of Ventral Spirit just to find out where they, because they don't even know where they are. They're, they're like, is this the Ventral Spirit? There's no fucking way this is the Ventral Spirit. So he stabs like the fleshy floor or whatever, and then he and then he gets the name Ventral Spirit. So then it cuts to the Emperor, and it's actually from Malkador's uh, point of view, who Malkador is still sitting writhing in agony on the throne. He's not really writhing; he's just slowly dying. And the Emperor is basically plunging himself like balls deep into the warp. He takes one of his Ormite gloves off and just like grabs a wall of the Vengeful Spirit and just plunges his hand into the raw warp, the raw the raw warp, and so now he's like growing to insanely ridiculous power because he has like unfettered access to it. So he's he's really a being of insane power right now. The the, the Emperor is. So he's just and, like absorbing the the everything around yeah. like within the warp that's kind of a cool power yeah because he can like he's not like absorbing everything around him but he's becoming way more powerful because he is essentially in the warp and he's like the most powerful psyker in history right, and so okay, he's absorbing it so fast and he's not gonna be corrupted by it because he's the fucking emperor he it's like his his power is 
basically never ending. If he keeps doing this, he's going to be ins- like insanely powerful because there's no end to the warp or whatever. Right. And so he's using his uh, the Heteron, the remaining Heteron that are left with him. Uh, he's basically acting through them, like he's controlling them, and they're fighting at a level that they've never fought at before because he's channeling like any excess energy through them. Uh, it cuts from him and Sanguinius and the Blood Angels, who are actually on something that resembles the Vengeful Spirit, uh, fight three companies of Sons of Horus veterans that have been left behind just as a pers- personal bodyguard for Horus. And Sanguinius is just fucking annihilating them. Three just... companies for one, uh, for one guard? <laughs> yeah, for a bodyguard. Seems, seems uh, excessive, but apparently not. Yeah, so... And there's only one company of Blood Angels, but also plus Sanguinius. Sanguinius goes absolutely ham. Just destroys them. I mean, fucking uh, annihilates these people. And, I mean, not that he's not struggling. At one point, he's almost overwhelmed, but someone, like, kind of saves him, and then he goes back to kicking ass and taking names. Um, so, all this, all the while, it keeps... So, the, the book is jumping, like, all over the place between all these different characters and, like, different seats. There's probably, like, 10 or 12 different goings-on, like, different areas of activity at all times or characters that you're following. And one of them are some blood... One of them is a blood angel, or several of them are blood angels that are in various places. And they're all having dreams of coffins and waking up with blood in their mouths. And they have this very, like morose and foreboding weight that is like being held above their heads. They have no idea what it is. It's, it's like completely inexplicable. And one of them describes it as he's waking from a nightmare. Like you wake up from a nightmare, you have this awful feeling, but you just don't know what the nightmare was about. Yeah. So this is obviously like the onset of the black rage because Sanguinius is about to die. Right. And the, Sanguinius had foresight, right? Or supposedly Sanguinius knew that. Okay. So what happened in the first book is all of the defenses except for the sanctum, which is where the throne room is basically. And like whatever building that is, uh, have been destroyed and everyone is either fighting on the sanctum's walls or within the sanctum itself. Everyone is like called back in and Sanguinius is told by the emperor that him, sorry, the emperor and Rogaldorn and Valdor are going to, go on this teleport strike onto the Vengeful Spirit and kill Horus. And Sanguinius has to stay behind with Vulcan. And Vulcan's going to stay in the, th- in the throne room. Sanguinius is going to go up on the battlements and be like uh, a figurehead, you know, be like inspiring and do great things on the on the wall, just rally the troops, basically. And Sanguinius says, no, I'm not doing that. I have to go with you because I know that Horus is going to kill me. And so... If I don't go and fight Horus before you do, that means Horus is going to kill you because he has to kill me at some point. And the Emperor's like, okay. And then, then that's how Sanguinius joins the the Operation Anabasis. Okay. So he says reasoning. If, if the if you go up and I that means I haven't died, which means you must die. Yeah, you so have to that, you or at least you won't kill Horus right. and end this whole thing. So, right. and likely you would die. Right. So, um, that happens. Basically, they're back to Blood Angels having the dreams, bad mm-hmm. dreams. They don't know what it's all about. And remember 
how I mentioned the the inevitable city last time. Yep. Okay, so that begins to like take shape. How it's the inevitable city where there's like things are not as they should be. You can walk around a corner, then all of a sudden be like twenty miles away. Right. That's happening everywhere, but now there's new buildings and things popping up and basically shit is just going insane. Like people that are walking inside the sanctum, like several hallways away from the throne room can all of a sudden be attacked by night lords that just come out of the fucking the walls basically. That's that's never a good day. Yeah, and like you can walk into some place like a walk into a doorway and then you'll find yourself on the ventral spirit which isn't actually the ventral spirit it's also part of the inevitable city which is like this whole new land and it's it sounds like time has been like stitched together and jammed into one place because there's like really old villages and shit and like huge sprawling uh like continents and things and that like the battle the area battle is just insane and it's taken on an aspect that was once terra and now has gone down to the to the Sanctum Imperialis, and now has also been incorporated into the Inevitable City, which is this humongous space. Like It's literally like a continent. It's humongous. There's huge lands and mountains and shit and villages, and then you'll walk somewhere else and you'll be back in the fucking ter- on Terra. It's whack. It's crazy. I mean, it's pretty it's much just because like, the warp is just leaking everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And it does... They really pull off a way for like... Basically, anyone can be anywhere at any time if they need need them to be. You know, if the writers need them to be. That's oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, okay. There's a little, like, bro, uh, bromance moment where this guy named Fafnir Ran, uh, he's an Imperial Fist, uh, gets a, a letter from a Huskarl named Arcamus, who is kind of, sort of, like, second in command from Rogaldorn in the Imperial Fists. And the it's like a heartfelt gesture from Arcamus because he signs it uh, like in his first name or says like, good luck Fafnir or something like that. And they never use first names or something. And it's Fafnir identifies it as like, that's him saying goodbye. Like I'm never going to see you again. Damn. So that's, that was kind of cool. We haven't talked about them very much, but they're, they've been there for like, you know, since the beginning of the Siege of Terra series. So again, I think, I think uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things when they do, when it is done in, in literature is when they do make these space marines like a little more human because obviously they yeah. are. They, they were at some point. So it's, yes. those, those moments are cool. Yeah. Oh, now that you say that, um, something that we have talked about before but we got an answer to in the first book is why the Emperor made the Primarchs these like basically inf- infallible beings except for like their one weakness. Right. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. they can make a Primarch, why don't you make him like so he doesn't, he's not corrupted by the warp. You know what I mean? Right. And Sanguinius asks him this right before they go on Operation Anabasis in the, in the first book. And his, he forms it as a question. The question is, uh, why must we suffer? And basically, the Emperor says that if I had removed any sort of emotion or feelings from you, you would be just cold machines. Right. And that's not. They'd be worse than the alternative, which I don't know if that's true. I mean, this shit's going pretty bad right now because they all have... Uh, you know, feelings and stuff. So yeah, I wouldn't consider what's happening uh, a good thing, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So I don't know if that checks out, but that's at least <laughs> reasoning for it. Um, okay, Abaddon in the first book is realize is fi- someone finally gets a hold of him and says, uh, "Horus has lowered the shields and the vengeful spirit." 
Like he's gone insane. And so Abaddon is calling people back. Not many people are listening to him because they're like at the walls. I mean, they're going to be they're like getting to the throne and they're almost there. No one's listening to him except for like a couple of his captains come back. And he's like, we're going back to the Vestal Spirit right now because the shields are down. And like our dad needs help. <clears throat> so they all get on um, on Thunderhawks, right? To go back up to orbit. They get on the Thunderhawks. People are like firing them up. And then they like look out the windows and they're there. They're just there all of a sudden. They're like, he's like, why are we taking off? And they're like, oh, sir. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Really? And he walks into the, yeah, he walks into the, the cockpit and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how are we here? We, I just walked on the ship. So then they all just get off and then they're there. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. Why they're not? On, uh, uh, everyone, yeah. So everyone's back, right? So everyone's back from, like, yes. you know, everyone so, who took off is back now. Yeah. So okay. presumably at this point, Abaddon and two companies are there. Um, one of them is the Justaren, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are, they're on the Ventral Spirit. The Emperor's on the Ventral Spirit. Sanguinius is on the Ventral Spirit. A company of Blood Angels is with him. Three companies of Sons of Horus. Horus himself. Rogaldorn is still in a red wasteland desert somewhere with one wall that he can't see over and can't climb up. Going insane. Because he's been there. At this point, he's been there for centuries. That's tough. In his man. time, he's been there forever. So long. He's forgotten. He's almost forgotten what his name is. Then it cuts to um, Ammon, who's Ammon Tormachian, like one of the famous uh, custodies, who's been in charge with watching over this guy named Basilio Foe, who was back in the day of the Unification Wars. He was one of the Emperor's like enemies, and the Emperor sort of like exiled him away from uh, humanity. Although, he either exiled him or this guy ran. This guy's really insanely smart. Uh, one of Malkador's chosen named Xanthus is also with them and this other lady who is called a Selenar Gene Witch and her name is Andromeda 17. I don't know. I don't know the backstory to that. Um, she's with them too. Basically, Emon is in charge of watching Basilio Foe, who is the guy that's made the Terminus uh, weapon or whatever, which presumably becomes the Terminus Decree. Ooh. And Malkador and his chosen are in this sort of political like tug of war over Basilio Foe and his weapon. And Andromeda 17 convinces Emon Tormachian that Basilio Foe has not finished it yet because he's trying to prolong his life and that they need to get to a place where he can finish it because he hasn't considered the fact that when this thing is activated and it kills all of the Astartes and all the Primarchs, their souls will go into the warp, at which point we'll have no real Primarchs left and no real Astartes left and all of the ones worthy of, you know, the patronage of their of the their god or whatever will just be reborn and we'll have... More problems with less people to deal with them. Yeah, that's a fair point to uh, present. That's a tough. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. Yes. So they bring, so the three, the three of them bring Basilio Fo to Malkador's like personal chambers where he begins to like work on things. Dude, this guy Basilio Fo is hilarious too. He's like one of the best characters. He's so funny. He knows that he's really smart and they're super on edge about everything he says. Like like every sentence he says could be manipulating you in some way. You might not even realize it. So they're even super like, on edge. Even on Malkador, like he still has that way to like kind of play with Malkador. No, no, he's not talking to Malkador. Oh, okay. They bring him to Malkador's. Uh, oh yeah, private to chambers. chambers. Yep, yep, yep. So that he can do his work. Because Malkador's and, just chilling on the throne at this point, right? Sorry. Yeah, he cannot communicate with anybody. Right. Um. So as I said, Sanguinius and the Blood Angels fight um, aboard the Vengeful Spirit. He basically can't be stopped, and he gets to a door 
and he tries to pry it open. I think there's like like something's calling him like to go to the other side of the door. You don't remember the details, but basically he jams the spear of Telesto in the uh, like in the door, like in between the two slots of the door, and like pries it open. And then he, what happens, dude? Somehow, basically, he's holding it open. Hold, like he gets his body in there, holds it open, and one of his blood angels gets like right near him is like helping him like pry the door open while they're getting shot at by three companies of sons of Horus, by the way. And he gets torn up by a dreadnought, like, like the guns on a dreadnought, like just tear him up. And Sanguinius, I think someone's holding it open or it's like propped open, like wheels around and like hurls the spear of Telesto at this dreadnought and fucking impales it and blows it up. And then he sneaks through the door. So the spear of Telesto is left behind. Sneaks through the door and then it slams shut behind him, and then no one else can get in. It's just him, and he's the only one who made it through. Yes, Got he's it. the only one that made it through. So he goes, he finds himself in this really dark chamber, and he comes across twenty caskets. Twenty is also, you know, the number of Primarchs, and one of them is left ajar, and it has the numeral nine etched on it. And obviously, nine is the ninth legion, the Blood Angels. This one is for Sanguinius, and. He hears like a voice, like he, he, or actually he senses this presence in the room with him and he thinks it's like, oh shit, like Horus might be like laying my trap. He's going to fucking kill me right here. And someone says something. I don't remember what, what he says, but he recognizes the voice, dude. And it's Ferris Manus. Really? <laughs> That's, it's still up in the air whether it was actually Ferris Manus or if it's like some conjuration sent by Horus. But the guy that says he's Ferris Manus says, tell Sanguinius that it is actually him. It is actually me, Ferris Manus, but I'm just a ghost sent to you to talk to you by Horus just to fuck with you. Just so that Horus can show you how fucking powerful he is. So, hmm. that's that, and he sort of guides Sanguinius, warns him how powerful Horus is, guides him to where Horus is going to be, and basically he just tells him that if you truly want to fight Horus, you have to actually believe it, and then you will be there. You will be in the fight with him, because... I don't know, it's kind of like a belief manifestation type thing with the inevitable city and all the warp shenanigans occurring. And so, um, during that, Ferris Menace tells him that death really actually sucks um, where our souls are being like perpetually devoured for for forever and it's the worst agony you could ever uh, experience. So that's cool. Yeah, um, sounds, yeah. Sounds, sounds awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah, so... Remember in the first book how I said Horus is like drunken on the warp, like he's completely lost his mind. He's seeing, he thinks that he's like trying to bring bring compliance to this world. It's actually Terra. He thinks it's a different world, and he's wondering where all the the remembrances are because he wants to make sure that they're like cataloging this whole thing. And he keeps calling uh, for Malagurst, who's dead, uh, and his new one is Argonus. And Argonus is like, "Sir, it's me, Argonus," and. Uh, He's like, man, Malagurus looks weird. He looks rem- he looks different. He looks remarkably like that guy Argonus. <laughs> so that's that's what was happening in the first book. Ferris tells him that that's not actually what happened. That Horus has deliberately and without telling anybody thrown his head, like his mind, into the past, so that not even the emperor could read his mind or predict what his plan was. So it's actually just a tactical masterstroke. He throws his to, his mind into the past. 
or basically throws himself into the past. Right. Okay. So that he thinks he's somewhere else. And then by the time, you know, Operation Anabasis, Big E and the Emperor, you know, uh, Sanguinius show up, he's like, come out of it. He's, he's the real Horus again. And he's just as terrible as you think he would be. He's, he's all there. He's all there. So tactical genius once again. And he didn't tell anybody of this, just just himself. I mean, he was the only one that knew about it. And then obviously he told Ferris Manus because that's one thing that Ferris Manus has going for him in being the actual conjuration of Horus. Or to that point, I guess. Right. He's he's inside his mind, kind of. Yeah, kind of, sort of. So I guess that doesn't answer the question, but he's sent there by Horus one way or the other. Uh, then it cuts back to the Imperial Palace. It has been completely violated uh, space and time have contorted and anyone can basically go in or out at random. Uh, Loken, Custer Loken, who is, as we saw, he was at the end of the last book, he's on the Vengeful Spirit. He is wading through, like in the lower decks of the, of the Vengeful Spirit and he's wading through, he said like knee high uh, blood, like just pools of blood uh, in the bowels of the ship and behind him uh, manifests the demon Samus. Remember him from the the first book? Yeah. Yeah, so cool. And that, that was a great scene. Yeah. Well, they had this sort of like chase, like Loken realizes there's no way he can defeat him, like especially when he's in, you know, knee high blood. So he runs, tries to get away. Samus basically defeats him. And then Loken, it's, they, I don't know how, that, I can't even describe to you how they pull it off. Cinderman and Mauer, the people that are in the library that Loken just left, like he when he opened this mysterious door that appeared, he went onto the ventral spirit and left this like library, the Hall of Lang, it was called behind. They pick up another book and start reading it, and it is as this lady Mauer reads it, it is the exact words that Samus is speaking to Loken. Like Samus like punches a giant hole in the side of the ship, makes sure like Nothing evacuates. Like, there's no decompression because Samus doesn't want anything to decompress. And he's, like, holding Loken outside the ship, like, p- making him stare at Terra. And he's giving him the whole fucking villain monologue and how no one has... Samus is always repeating himself. He, like, no one has the vision. There's only a few of them that could pull it off. They really saw the true potential that there was. He never tells you what it is. And what he's saying is exactly what Maurer is reading from this book. And she can't stop reading. And, like, her eyes are fucking bleeding and shit. And somehow Loken realizes that some Samus is tied to this thing. I can't remember exactly how Dan Abnett pulls it off, but he does in classic Dan Abnett style. And he defeats Samus by basically just realizing that he is nothing if no one believes in him. Like, he's just a worthless, stupid little thing floating around the warp. And that's what I, that's what he thinks he is, and so does everybody else, and he's not real, and basically that defeats him somehow. It's, it's sure. kind of whack. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm missing de- missing details, but the, he pulls it off very very well. So, Cinderman is that saint, right? She's the one who becomes the saint. No, correct? no, Cinderman is the iterator. The iterator, okay, yeah, yeah, the old guy. Kila, Euphrates Kila is the uh, the saint. That's right. So is she still alive at this point? Yes. So, the Argonauts, who are uh, Litu, John Grammaticus, Elenius Person, Acte, uh. This chick named Cat, Crank, Zybes, and All's personal like um, freight servitor named Graft are attacked while they are like I said, Night Lords like coming out of the wall inside the Imperial inside the palace. 
Yep. They're attacked by that. The custodians, like the custodian guard around them and the Sisters of Silence are all killed. They manage to get away. All of them do. And they've been following themselves, or not following themselves, they've been, as they went along, before they got captured by the custodians, they were tying red threads around, like, different statues and pillars and things to mark where they've been because the Imperial Palace is... Is collapsing humongous. on itself. Humongous. It's humongous. Where this was are. before the Inevitable City. It's humongous, and everything is, like, almost unfathomably large. Like, one room you walk into can be so big that you can get lost in the one room. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, the hallways are seemingly endless, so they're, like, putting, like, little red threads everywhere to, to show that they've been here before. Yeah, breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs right. Yes, so they break free and they begin seeing red threats. And they're like, we have not been here before. Like, how are we seeing this? And it's basically different versions of themselves have tied those things or have yet to tie them from a different time or whatever. Tie these red threads around. And so they continue on a little ways following the red threads. And suddenly a word bearer appears in front of them. And it's fucking Erebus. That bastard Erebus. So, everyone's favorite. Yeah, everyone's favorite word bearer, Erebus. Um, so, I don't know the exact backstory, but Erebus has beef with Alanius, who is, Alanius is the perpetual that's older, older than the emperor. He doesn't really have any powers or anything. He's just an old dude who can't, can't die. Right. He has beef with Erebus. Erebus has beef uh, with him. And, okay, this, this, I have a lot written down here because it's really fucking interesting. But basically, Alanius has one of eight of the Athames that were forged from the Anathame that Erebus stole from the Interrex in the very first book. Remember that? Kind, in, uh, kind of. Okay, so remember when the very first book in Horus, Horus Rises... They meet the Interrex, who are the ones that put that like cordon around that world called Murder that had all the all the murder uh, yep, yep. spiders on it. The Interrex were like basically humans that had gone down a different different technological path, but they also lived alongside some other uh, aliens that were also friendly. Yeah, and I Horus that. is in a debate with himself about you know this is the Emperor says that we can't let any of the aliens live, but here's humans living with aliens and they're perfectly fine, and the Interrex are technologically advanced and they're like things are going well well they take them to the hall of devices on like a tour of the world or whatever because they're like in talks like negotiations and one of the things that they come across is this the anathame which is this weapon that this alien race had forged which was like the perfect it was basically when it struck something it was like the perfect it became the perfect weapon to kill that thing or whatever right yeah i remember that one i remember that okay. uh, that because it, it yes it escalates from there Yes, it's the it becomes the blade that was given to like the the Nurgle champion that strikes Horus and almost kills him, in which you know Erebus brings him to Davin and they do the fucking warp shit with him and then Erebus comes to him as uh, Haster Serjanus and says, "Hey, you know, this is how things are. You know, the Emperor's lying to you." And then Magnus infiltrates his dreams and tries to warn Horus about Erebus's treachery and yeah, it, it all goes south from there. Anyhow. All has one of eight athames forged from the anathame that Erebus has, or that Erebus stole. Okay, that's why Erebus is there. He's got beef. He's got beef with all. Uh, they all try to kill him. 
Litu, which I think I'm not sure if we went over that. Litu is like one of the first Astartes ever created. He's without a legion, so okay. he is um, this lady named Erder, who is like the emperor's like helped helped the emperor create the, the Astartes. Okay, he's like her personal bodyguard. He's with them, and there's this epic battle sort of between um, this the Ar- John calls them the or sorry all calls them the Argonauts, and this is epic battle between all of them and Erebus. Erebus basically kills all of them because not only is he Astartes, but he also knows Nuncia and he can somehow speak it without much detriment to himself. So he's just fucking him up with Nuncia. And this lady named Acte, who we've been over before, used to be like a remembered sir with the word bearers and was killed by the custodians when they found out that the word bearers had gone, you know, all jihad on everybody and wanted to kill everybody. And yeah. <laughs> so she came back, she was reborn, and now she's a perpetual and she's a psyker. She okay. holds Erebus in place while everyone runs away, and then basically, like psycho, like psychic detonates a giant explosion and that like collapses the section of the wall that they've ended up on. So they've all—it's basically now all that's left is Leetu, John Grammaticus, and all Alanius person. Everyone else is dead. All of like Cat, who was like all's favorite person, was like this younger girl that was also like a like a not so powerful psyker and just people that had basically come along with him from Kalth uh, are all dead. So they've been on this huge epic journey and they all just died. And he's like really torn up about this because he is just a regular dude after all. He's just really right. fucking old. Yeah. So throughout this whole thing, we get all these hints as to who all has been in the past. He calls his little band of Mary travelers, the Argonauts, but he mentions knowing the real Argonauts and the Argonauts are, um, from like Greek myth there, the myth is like that 50 warriors accompanied, accompanied um, this place or this guy named Jason to a place called Colchis aboard the ship named Argo to fetch the golden fleece. This is Greek mythology. So Colchis is obviously the planet of the word bearers. Mm. So, and he says that he, all P knew the real Argonauts. So maybe he was an Argonaut. Maybe he was Jason from the Argonauts, right? Right. Um, so I'm leaning towards more that he is Jason because he says he knew the Argonauts, the real Argonauts. Um, not that he was was an Argonaut, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Fair enough. So, yeah. So, another thing that happens. So, he's lost all confidence. There's another, there's a bunch of mythological tie-ins here. It's hinted that he is a part of the Odyssey. The, you know, Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah, it's like this huge. It's technically a poem, but it's you know like thousands of pages long. Right. So there's all these references to him being in a labyrinth, which is kind of like what the Imperial Palace is. He describes it as a labyrinth, and they're leaving balls of thread or like this thread trail behind, so they know where they're going. Hmm. And all makes references to a labyrinth that he's been in the past. It's like oh that fucking that fucking labyrinth, you know that 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 shit sucked. So. From all these, we know that almost certainly he was Theseus from Greek mythology, who was the dude in the labyrinth that had to go in there and killed a minotaur and used a ball of thread, just as the Argonauts are now, to follow his trail back out of the labyrinth once he killed the minotaur. So It's kind of cool. So he was either Jason or an Argonaut, and he was also Theseus. Hmm. Um, okay, another cool thing. Obviously, I said Colchis was the home planet of the word bearers. And Erebus is a word bearer who has been hunting all, who has been hunting all, trying to get this thing back. 
and it's as if Colchisian, you know, the Colchisians want to retrieve something stolen from them, kind of like the Golden Fleece was stolen from them by the Argonauts. Um, okay, also, in all's past, he was present at the destruction of the Tower of Babel, which in 40K, which he says was a tower built by um, the... Okay, now, this is not what he says. This is the actual myth. Uh, the Tower of Babel was basically a tower built in Babylonia by the descendants of Noah who were angry at God for the floods and they're trying to build it so tall that they could basically walk into heaven and confront God. Uh, in 40K, all is the OG Warmaster. The Emperor has given him, he was the first one to be given the title of Warmaster by the Emperor. The okay. Chaos Cult is procuring Annuncia in the Tower of Babel. And the Emperor doesn't want them to have it, so he destroys uh, them or the Tower, I can't remember what he says, and this is to claim the Annuncia for himself, and this is where all disagrees with him and says, no, like this should be destroyed. No one should know about this stuff. And he actually stabs the Emperor. Really? And, uh, yes, so this is like the first betrayal by the by a war master that the Emperor has experienced, and this is probably, presumably, the second one with Horus. Hmm. Um, so in the Bible, God uh, forced the builders of the tower to speak different languages so that they could not communicate to finish the construction of the tower. And then the tower was slowly ransacked by um, the locals of Babel to, and they ended up like building their own house out of it because no, it's like basically the project stopped and they said, well, fuck, no one's going to finish it. So we're just going to deconstruct it, dismantle it and build our own shit out of it. So I don't know how the emperor or all fit into the traditional Bible story in that sense. Although the big E could perceive like perceivably be God in that story, except for the fact that Alenius is also the, he's, his nickname is Alenius the Pious. He's also the last living Christian and he wears a cross and he knew the emperor at the time. So I don't think, you know, he wouldn't, he doesn't believe the emperor is God. So I don't think the emperor fits God in that story. But does he believe that he is a God? No, he does not. Not yet. Interesting. So Abaddon searches for Horus. He finds Argonus on the command bridge of the Vengeful Spirit, who is shaking and quivering, like completely cowering in fear. He's code black. Uh, if you're familiar with Cooper's color codes, he's code black. Uh, can't be assisted. Meanwhile, so ba basically how it's played off is he has glimpsed, Horus is back in, in his true form, and Argonus has glimpsed him, and it has driven him fucking crazy. That's how it's sold. That's how it's sold to you, as he's glimpsed the true form of Horus, and it is... It would corrupt. It is instilled fear and even on Astartes, right? Like a loyalist one, too. like his, like a, one of his. His his equerry who sees him the most often. That's nuts. So, Abaddon and his company step through a nearby door, like they're leaving the command bridge or whatever, and now they're outside. And it's like I said, it's in this big open like space. They're in a conglomeration of cities and palaces and old like villages with timbered houses and crazy shit. Just. It's like everything from out time was just sort of smashed into one place, and this is what it looks like. And all of a sudden, they are beset by um, some, it's called Hort Lupercali, which are like the crew of the Ventral Spirit, who are insanely uh, afraid, <clears throat> as well as some word bearers. The word bearers are also in insanely afraid. They have to kill them. Oh, they're so they're so like batshit. They have they've to been get, they've yeah. gone insane. They're yeah. they're they're just anyone that's in the way is an enemy because I need to get away from whatever I just saw. Okay. Uh, the 
let's see, All and John, and now Lee Tu. Um, okay, so they're fighting. I think Erebus comes back, right? No, sorry. They've they're just on their own now. All and John are on their own with with Lee Tu. And the same thing happens to them. A bunch of Hort Lupercalian word bearers run towards them maniacally and begin to fight them. All and John flee, and Lee Tu sort of says, I will like hold them off long enough for you guys to escape. Loken saves Lee Tu, yeah, and they yeah. kill the rest of the word bearers. Right? Loken's dude, he's so badass. He's so bad. He kicks ass. Yeah, he's he, uh, he's he's all he's awesome in everything he's in. Yes, he is. So uh they sort of regroup all and John Loken do. Uh meanwhile, Azek Araman, who's only appeared several times in this whole series so far, the whole Siege of Terra, <clears throat> sort of just teleports into the Hall of Lang, and he's with Mauer and the Archivist and Cinderman. And he, like, completely and utterly scares them. But he explains to them, like, listen, I'm not pro-Horus, but I'm not pro-Emperor either. We were we were loyalists, but the Emperor just simply would not have us anymore because of what Magnus did. He would not have us. Uh, I'm not going to kill you. I just want to absorb like all of the knowledge in the Hall of Lang because this has some of you know the most sought-after knowledge in the galaxy. He explains that the goals of the Thousand Suns don't align with either faction, and they're just trying to carve out a little piece of space for when this whole thing blows over that they can do, they can pursue their own goals, right? And he begins to like do his like little ritual, and he's just consuming the knowledge of thousands of books all at once, and. All of the ink from all the pages is like leaking out of all the books and running down on the floor and pooling up. And it's very cool. And he's, he tells them that they basically somehow come across the or come upon the topic of the Dark King. And he says that if Horus truly becomes the Dark King, he, he begins to become uh, become scared. Araman does. And he's like basically saying that the four powers have permitted him to become become a god and that we're, we're like shit's bad. It's worse than I thought it was going to be. Um, Abaddon and his buddies are killing word bearers and just the Hort Lupercali by the hundreds and Abaddon begins to worry that they're going to run out of ammo at this pace because there's so many of them. And if they run out of ammo, they're, they're going to die. So he makes a play to get to the nearest high ground to get a lay of the land and see how many more they have to deal with, like what's going on. He gets to the top of this little hill and he sees that there's still thousands of word bearers and Hort Lupercalli, and they're all just, like, running, like, fleeing something. And there's, like, a dark, like, orb in the distance, right? And they're, he's, he's assuming that it's the Dark King, that Horus has, begin, has begun his ascent, right? Yeah. Abaddon knew that that's what his end game was, right? That he I was don't think become... so. Okay. I don't think so. Like, he, Abaddon really resents this whole thing. He hates demons. He hates the warp. He's like, oh, we right. should be that's settling right. yeah. this like men. Like, demons should not be here. This is mano y mano, father versus son, and let the, you know, may the best uh, warrior win kind of deal. He's cool. He's cool in that sense. Right. So he sees this, and then it cuts to Sanguinius and Horus, and they have begun, begun their fight. But before they start fighting, they have a little conversation. Obviously. Um, yeah, Horus sort of offers him a place at his side. They're in, like, Horus's, like, royal court or whatever. There's five seats there. He offers Sanguinius a place at his side, which is a little bit off-putting because you thought the five seats were for the four deities and now the Dark King, who would be Horus, to sit at. Right. So, and when Sanguinius uh, denies him, uh, Horus, like, sheds a single tear because Sanguinius is his favorite brother. And he's a little upset about this, that his brother would deny him. 
and you know so he would be his greatest companion and be the greatest boon for him and his cause. And he tells Sanguinius that he will show him no mercy. He's crossed the line, and he'll show him no mercy. And Sanguinius like sort of responds by, you know, entering a fighting stance and raising his sword. So badass. So badass. Okay. They begin to fight. Now we could go back to John and All and Litu, and Loken's there as well. And this is this, they're inside this building. There's this light sort of coming outside, coming through the windows, and they don't know what it is. And all of a sudden, it's extremely bright. And they're all knocked unconscious. Like, this light just sort of, like, flies into the room, and they're all unconscious. Okay. And... This is not the strangest thing that has happened so far. I Yeah, I know. So, all wakes up first, and in front of him, there's... They're, they're not inside anymore. The others are still knocked out. And there's several, like, sentinels standing in front of him in, like, charred oramite armor. And behind them is this humongous... Like, he said it's absolutely huge. Like, moon-sized black orb that is simultaneously black but also emitting some crazy blinding light. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is insane. And then it flashes back to the library where Armin is makes a reading from his personal tarot deck. And up until now, the tarot, there's been several tarot, like, people are, have their own Vampire's tarot decks. And they're always reading the same thing. And the last two cards, no matter how you shuffle it, it reads the same thing. And the last two cards are the Emperor and then the Dark King. Hmm. So Azak Ehrman makes a uh, does like, makes a reading, and the card like his cards have physically changed. They have different things printed on them, and it shows Horus as not uh, doesn't show Horus like where he usually was, or it puts Horus's face on like the the calamity or something like that. And then it shows again, the emperor and then the dark King. And basically this is saying that the way things have gone, Horus is not the dark King. The emperor is the dark King and the emperor is undergoing basically apotheosis to become a God. Hmm. And that's how it's, that's how it's delivered to you. That's kind of cool. Yes. So I like that. Yes. That's when I paused the book and I was like, Holy fuck, dude. I had to message Matt and be like, dude, this is insane. He, I had to pause to message you. And he's like, dude, I had to pause the book too when I was reading that just to think about the ramifications of what was like, what was happening. But kind of technically like it's, yeah, it's, it's like one of those um, misread prophecies. And it's just like, yeah, that yes. kind of is the reality of what is happening. Fits. And, yeah, fits. But it's no one ever looked at it because it wasn't the scary thing on knocking on the door. Exactly. So the black orb, like truly wicked to behold for almost anyone, including, you know, the, uh, I think it's maybe wicked to behold for anyone that the emperor wants it to be. So this is what all those word bearers were running from. And all the horror brutality were just driven mad by just seeing this thing. Hmm. And so obviously the emperor is sort of bathed in like raw immaterium brought by horse. And that's how he's. That's why I was using this. He's using this as a, like a fuel to become a god. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. So he's been, as I said, he's been uh, channeling his power through his Ateron. He's killed all of them. They're all dead, but he's still like just animating their corpses and using them to fight. Except for one named uh, Kaikaltus, who was like the, whatever, the shield captain of the Ateron or whatever. And he uses him basically as a mouthpiece to speak with all because all knows the emperor. They have a history. And That's right, yeah. Emperor, or all, crazily, 
talks him out of becoming the Dark King. He's like, what you're becoming is way worse than what you're trying to defeat. You're like, if you go too much further, you're going to go past this point of no return and it will be the damnation of the entire galaxy. You're going to cross this point and you're going to have so much power. You're going to basically, I don't know how he knows this, but he, and everyone, he knows this and everyone kind of sort of knows it, that this dark King thing is not a good thing. Like this is bad. (laughs) This is not good. No matter who it is, it's not good. They're going to have so much power that they will never stop. They're going to be addicted to it. and They're never going to stop trying to get more. Yeah, no, no matter no matter how good the person is, it'll corrupt them. Yes. Hmm. Yes. But what the um, emperor believes that that he needs to do this to He's like, it's a tool that he's using to defeat Horus. And th- but in it, doing there's so, no doubt. Yes, he would be become the dark king and be truly corrupted and probably just damn like it's going to damn the Eldari. It's going to kill the Eldari. So it's a it's a cataclysm of galactic scale what's happening right now. Right. So Somehow, all manages to like to talk him out of this. Just saying, say one perpetual to another. Don't do this. It's not a good idea. <laughs> I know you think it's a good idea, but it's not. The emperor is such a dickhead, dude. He's the worst. Yeah, um, you kind of. Yeah. I mean, you kind of. I guess. I guess you've earned it to do it, but yeah. Yes, he explains to the uh, somehow they get on the topic of like Malkador, and the emperor is like how could you do this to your friends or some shit like that? Or all tells that to the emperor. And the emperor is like, basically refers to Malkador as like a tool, just like the emperors were. And I only permit him so much leeway because I need him to be like, he's like, he's like a built in fail safe for redundancy. <laughs> I'm not as actually like, he's not my friend. Like I, he's just there because I need him to be there. <laughs> and meanwhile, he Malkador is on the throne and he's always, he looks up to the emperor so much, dude. He's like, he calls him my king of ages my best friend and all this shit, right? <laughs> and the emperor's like, dude, I don't even care for that guy. He's, he's like, he's a tool. He, that's what he is. He's a tool. Both so, in the sense and literal. Yes. And uh, there's actually a point in this where Nakador sees the emperor turning into this and he is so distraught. It's like the worst. He was already in such awful physical pain for being on the, the golden throne and then he sees that the emperor is becoming the dark king and it hits him with a whole other, a whole new wave of pain. That he does not want to see. So it goes back to Sanguinius uh, fighting Horus. He's working Horus over, dude. He's so fast. That's what it seems like, at least. He's, he's really cutting him up, striking him. Horus can't catch up to him. Uh, he's giving him what for, right? Goes to Horus's point of view. Horus is purposely responding and reacting slowly. He's making Sanguinius work really hard. Sanguinius is still nursing the wound given to him by Angron. And he knows that he's going to just work himself to exhaustion. And he's waiting for this rich moment when Sanguinius realizes that he's hopeless. He, can't, he cannot defeat him. He's just waiting for him to burn out. And Horace is going to be perfectly fine standing there. And he's going to see this look on Sanguinius' face of just complete and utter hopelessness and defeat. And that is like the awesome moment he's waiting for. Because Horace is a motherfucker and he sucks. And he's just a bad person. But he's also, uh, you know, very good at fighting. Yes. So, basically, when the Biggie relinquishes uh, the form of the Dark King, thanks to all, he makes this, like, sort of psychic call to everyone that could possibly be within earshot. Sort of a rallying call. He's going to need all the help he can get to defeat Horus. 
And Rogaldorn hears this in this place called the Red, because every all the sand has turned red over time. Everything's turned red. Everything's rusty. And uh, he remembers who he is. Rogaldorn. I am Rogaldorn. Primarch of the Seven's Legion. Blah, 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 blah. Defiant and unyielding. He remembers who he is, what his purpose is, because he can hear the Emperor speaking to him. And he begins to, like, dig and claw through this wall. And uh, he finally gets through the wall. When he steps to the other side, dude, he's there. He's in the inevitable city, right where they all basically were. He The first thing he come, comes across, well, one, he finds all of his Imperial fists that joined him on the op- Operation Abyssus. They're all dead. He finds one of the great swords for one of them, uh, like one of the House Carls was using, picks it up. And then the next thing he finds is Acte, who sort of psychically blasted herself to kill Erebus under a bunch of rubble. Uh, he begins to dig her out because she's a perpetual, so she comes back to life. Um, so all the forces. Oh, so they like they literally alive. cannot be killed. They can be killed, but like the Athame that um, what's his name has can do it, and like that's it. That oh, all okay. has like only certain things can kill them. Okay. Other than that, they just come back to life. So she's she's been under the rubble, like dying, come back to life, dying, come back to life, dying, come back to life because her head's that's, crushed or whatever. That's tough. Oh yeah, tough. So, all the Emperor's forces rally to his call for help, right? Goes back to Horus for Sanguinius, and he is relishing this moment where Sanguinius realizes that he's so fucked. And Horus has this little moment of contemplation where he really wished to give Sanguinius a second chance to accept his offer. But then he remembers, and he's pained by the fact that he said, there will be no more, I will show you no mercy. And so he doesn't. So there, there, there shall be no mercy. And uh, Horus removes his blindfold, so to speak. And when Sanguinius flies by, uh, after striking him one time, he quickly reaches out and grabs his ankle and, like, sort of overhand smashes him, like, Omni-Man style to, you know, budget Batman uh, at the end of episode <laughs> one onto the deck. You remember that scene? Yeah, I just, I just like yeah. the, the description. <laughs> That's how that's how it came off. I was like, okay, so he just kind of like overhand, like a like he's splitting a piece of wood, and Sanguinius is the splitting mall. Just fucking smashes him onto the deck, smashes him so hard, breaks a bunch of his bones, like fucks up his hip, breaks a bunch of his ribs and shit, and then he throws him through like a wall or a doorway or whatever into another room, and Sanguinius hits an altar. Like Sanguinius is like thinks he's doing good hitting Horus a bunch of times, carving him open, like, he even has a huge cut across his face, opens his plate up, he's worked all the shields built into Horus's armor away. So he really, felt, he really felt like he had a chance. Yeah, single, uh, Horus just grabs him and fucking smashes him off the deck, dude, so hard. It's tough. So he goes flying into this room, hits this altar. He rises up and he sees on the, there's skulls everywhere in this room, fucking everywhere. And there's a particularly large one on top of this altar with the letter X carved into it. X for the 10th Legion of Astartes, X for the Iron Hands, X for the Primarch Ferris Manus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sanguinius um, like barely can even rise before Horus is on him again. He, he, Horus says he, he hefts Worldbreaker. So Horus is like in his head. He's really portrayed as an insane person because he's constantly monologuing in his own head to himself. He says he has a world breaker, which is his giant uh, mace. He says yeah. light as a feather. And <laughs> uh, I think Sanguinius does get, have time to get up, but he hits Sanguinius right across the face with it. And it like pulverizes his head and rips half of his face off. And like, it's still attached, but hanging there, it's like just drooping down. Like, 
like flapping in the wind like a flag would be. Sanguinis is getting fucked up, dude. He can barely even like speak anymore. And he's on the ground and Horus sort of like puts his boot on him and just furiously and murderously just beats him over and over and over again with his mace. Just fucking dis- like pulverizes Sanguinis. So the artwork is a little more PG is what you're, that we've seen. Yes. And like it said, there's blood fucking everywhere. It's so dark, dude. And then he, Sanguinius is barely breathing. He can't even say anything. He's trying, like, you can tell he's trying to speak. He's like gargling up blood and Horace lifts him up with his giant talon, holds him in front of him and then fucking snaps his neck. And Damn. Like, yep. He's dead. And he drops him. And the way he describes dropping Sanguinius's body, it's like, it's like his bones are all just gelatin and like this thing, this weird mass, like gelatinous mass just fucking hits the deck and just like, you know, ends up in this weird, strange, ugly pile on the ground, you know? It's, dude, it hits so hard. It, like, it was like, oh, fuck, dude, this sucks. And then it says, um, something like strange things crawl out of the darkness from the edges of the room to hang, like, begin to hang the body up from the walls. <laughs> Fucking so, nuts, dude. That I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have expected it any other way, really. I mean, but, dude, it hits, it man. punches so hard. That final scene, I was like, oh fuck, dude. I never talked to my to my to my wife about the books, really, or my parents. But I was having dinner with my <laughs> wife, and my mom that night, and I was like, I just finished this book. I don't know if I've ever been hit so hard by a book. And they're like, yeah, cool. Like, I don't care. And I was like, I don't even know what to tell you because I can't even explain this whole thing to you. But I was I, I was telling you before I finished it, that I really think that the authors are making Sanguinius so likable because everybody knows that he dies at the end. Right. They yeah. know, everyone knows it, but they still make him so awesome just so that when this happens, it's like getting stabbed in the gut, dude. You're like, ah, oh, fuck, dude. Yeah. Because he's so cool and then he's just reduced to ruin. And just rubble by Horus. So this might be my new favorite book of all time, dude. This, this is so good. Yeah, Amazing. I mean, it sounds. Uh, I can't wait for the just to, to, for the next one because there's three, right? Yeah, there's three. Because yeah. that, that that's how the book ends. So we still need, you know, yeah, Horus obviously the emperor. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it sounds amazing. I mean, I I I didn't really know much about Sanguinius, and like uh, you know, you you kind of learn through through like this story about so much of what he is, and I'm happy they kind of like added a lot of character to him because yeah, I agree. Like you. He, he's such a cool Primark, and him getting fucking smoked is just hits harder. Yeah, he hits is harder. the best Primark. Yeah. yeah, and and like for what it's worth, like Games Workshop, no one's listening for me, but don't bring him back. I mean, it's just let it. It's just such a great let him die. Let yeah. him die, you know. And it's yeah, they really like this is a legendary ending. Like they really, they fucking nailed it so yeah. hard. Yeah, and uh, I know it's it's it's. I I thought it was gonna be a little bit more like um. I didn't expect the grim darkness, I guess, which is ironic because yeah. you know. Yeah, but I, I expected dark. it to kind of be just like, like just like a, a talon through the chest and falls over and dies. But like, nah, dude. Like, he looks him just, right in the eye and he's like, "Let's just." I, I can see you're trying to say shit and just breaks his neck. Like, let's just go fucking um, hammer mole on 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 your head here, and then I'll just end you with a quick snap. Yeah, but right after I savagely beat you to a pulp, right? Like. Yeah, it's tough. It was it was tough. So, Sanguinius, best Primark ever. Hopefully never coming back. But well, I was going to ask if he does, if he does, I will get him. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Everyone's going to it'll be the, it'll be the greatest money maker games workshop ever has. 
yeah, it actually might be the the most single money making model of all time, unless it is so polarizing people boycott it. But I don't think that will happen. No, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I get it. Like, I would it would be hard for me to like, like I wouldn't really need one, but like it would be hard for me to be like, yeah, like it shouldn't have happened. But like, it's yeah, think of like all the other Primarchs. That model would be so sick. I know, so I sick. Know. Like every yeah. Primark model is really, in my opinion stellar i mean even gilliman he's a basic one and but like he's still pretty yeah. good dude, pretty good model pretty cool model but even he is the basic bitch dude that's like he's yeah, the basic facts. bitch primark and then facts. he's like here's my basic bitch primark model dude facts but like every demon primark is badass and sanguinius yeah. is the closest thing to kind of like being not a demon but like an angel like the the polar opposite of what yeah of what the demon primarchs look like and it would just be so yeah. cool with the angel wings and um, I agree. I agree. Rebirth and everything, but yeah, no, that's it's awesome. I mean, it's geez, ups and downs. Um, oh yeah, the whole gambit, man, the whole gambit. I so, I love the connection to the like actual real time like mythology and like history. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to do an episode on Alenius at some point because there's so many connections. There's there's more connections beyond that one. Not not with just him, but like Operation Anabasis. Maybe we'll have to do we'll have to do our own episode on yeah. this. Maybe just uh, like the real world tie-ins. But Anabasis was this book written by a Greek um, soldier, writer, philosopher, historian named uh, Xenophon. So in the first book, obviously there's Operation Anabasis, and Xenophon is they're being so John and all and the Argonauts or whatever are being helped by this Alpha Legionnaire who is the same one that John was close to in this book called Legion. His name's Ingo Pesh, which is a fucking another amazing Dan Abnett book, Legion. It's all about Alpha Legion. So fucking good during Horse Heresy. And he's explaining to John, or all, I think it's John, maybe. Yes, yeah, John. That basically there's a bunch of sleeper agents, sleeper agent Alpha Legionnaires underneath the Imperial Palace with like stockades of weapons and vehicles and shit. And they've all been psycho-indoctrinated with like certain keywords. And one of them is Xenophon, which is, the, again, which is the author of this book called Anabasis. And the book is about uh, like a son betraying his father and like trying to kill him and take over his throne. So, Weird. so many tie-ins, dude. So many tie-ins. Um, so the reason I asked about that, uh, the saint, if he was still alive, because uh, at the end of at the end of the buried dagger, like the Garrow has a conversation with her because I guess he likes just like talking to her and um yeah she says that like this is this isn't the last time we this isn't the we're only going to meet one more time and this isn't the time so i'm just i was just curious like where she kind of fell within that because clearly like garrow has some sort of interaction with her within the end yeah so i didn't talk about this i forgot to write it down but it's not really uh like the story doesn't hinge on this at least not yet but she's leading like this huge pilgrimage of people and all she knows is that they need to head north and and I say huge pilgrimage of people. These these people think they're, they're all they know who she is, and they don't know what she symbolizes, or if she has any powers, or if she's special. But they she has like a reputation, and there's like literally millions of people following her. They're just walking, right? They're just walking. They're just heading north. And I explain to you where the scene where um they are confronted by like a whole company of sons of Horus, and one of them is third. Uh, it's the third company, I think, or something like that. Or maybe seventh company. Anyway, she knows the captain. She knows the captain. I, th- I think his name is Torgadon or Torgaradon or something like that. It's a classic fucking Sons of Horus name. Right. And she can see, she knows him from her time on the Ventral Spirit. She can see 
the per the actual captain inside the the armor is not in control. Like the screaming, you know, personality of the dude that is gone and is now being controlled by whatever demonic entity is controlling him is like screaming and wailing in his corporeal husk. And then uh, Sanguinius cuts the guy's head off. Or not Sanguinius, uh, Sigismund, the other big S. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, who has forgotten the name Sigismund and now goes by the Emperor's Champion. Cuts the guy's head off and ambushes the whole uh, company of Sons of Horus with his little detachment of Imperial Fists or Knights Templar. He kills them all. And then he, then last I know, they're just, those, Sanguinius and his forces are just sort of walking down this perpetual road called the Via Aquila that it seems to just go forever. Uh, just walking down the road with Kila and all the uh, all the people. Hmm. Do you know where Malkador sent the other knights, Aaron? I don't. I don't know. I don't know either. They yeah. have been. Some of them have been there, but they I, they either well, might they be... they went to the they went to Titan through Webway Gate during the Siege of Terra. Uh, before, before. Okay, so they're on Titan, maybe. That's where they all went to Webway Gate, and that's when. Um... Loken was like, I'm not getting, I'm not going through the webway to die on Titan. Okay. That's but, it. So he was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to die here. So they the all got, the so, so they all got new names. Like that was like the, like the final scene of the Mortarian book, which ironically was not about Mortarian, um, <laughs> um, was about the Knights Errant. And they were like, um, well, it was, I guess the last scene was Mortarian, but it's like literally no dialogue. Um, but it was just like, yeah, Malkador was like giving them all name, like let go of who you were, and then you're, you know I'll show you what the future is. And he shows like either the what if they if they don't follow his orders, what happens, and if they do follow his orders, what could happen. So and they all agree to it and drop their name, and that's when um, Talios or uh, Rubio Talios is that his name or Talos? I don't or, know. But Rubio, the, 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 the the Ultramarine one, the Library okay, Ultramarine yeah. one. He he drops he drops his sword and he gives up his identity and they all walk off and then Loken's like, Yeah, I'm not doing that. And that's when Loken gets his sword. Gotcha. gotcha. And I was yeah, just I curious know, if you didn't, didn't know, know if, behind I didn't know if they went to I didn't know if you knew what happened over on Titan because obviously Malkador's not there with them. So they go there and he's just like, All right, you guys do your thing, peace out. So I was just curious if you knew what happened after that. Um I'm assuming they're like training new Astartes because Titan is like in the web or in the the warp. Right, and that's where that's they do enter the webway, and like Malkador used the DNA. Have you heard of that? I can't remember his name. Shit, but he used the DNA of a Eldari that they found from like years ago, and he basically created a clone, which is like the guy he always is with. That he like, it's like his, it's like his assistant. Oh, Xanthus, maybe. Because um, there's a funny part with that in this book where when Basilio Fo is trying to make like make his new weapon or refine his weapon he has to make a baseline like standard human and uh he takes this guy xanthus who is malkador's chosen one of malkador's chosen to uh he takes some of his sample and he has like this huge like pool of xanthus basically and he makes this joke he's like you know pound for pound there's probably more of you inside that pool than there is outside of it because that's you i call it xanthus <laughs> yeah and the I'm, guy's I'm, like what the fuck maybe but he's got eldari dna within him and that's how he can access the webway and like that was his grand scheme he keeps making these gotcha. clones and then eventually he figures out that he's a clone and then malkador just like you know but well, you're gonna eventually you're gonna go crazy and i'm gonna have to kill you and just like pull another one out of the tube and, oh really okay yeah and it was basically for this this he his point was that he, he had higher intellect so malkador could confide in him because he was part eldari even though he didn't know it 
And then he, yeah. because he had the DNA, he could access this webway and ultimately push the, you know, Aaron's or the Knights Aaron's into it to go do whatever they wanted to do, which gotcha. sounds like they might be doing the training with the Astartes, but yeah. yeah awesome. Awesome okay, story, man. Nice. Like, yeah, that's great. a, it's a man. Sanguinius though, huh? I know it's tough, tough loss. I, fe- I felt it. I felt it, man. Hit me. And that's, oh, that's what I was going to ask too. Like, so because the, his, Sanguinius's sons is in the Blood Angels. They supposedly also have some degree of, um, the Farsight, right? Um, is that why they, they were kind of like do. having those dreams? It was like the Black Rage because they knew what was happening. Uh, they didn't know what was, what, what was happening. They don't know that. Sanguinius has not been telling people that he's going to die up there. Right. But like, did they, they, like, did they kind of like have a, uh, premonition that it was going to happen no no so but once it does they obviously kick into the black rage is like and it's like essentially a guilt for letting him die right and it's like yeah it snaps well, them into like horus. only fighting they, like, horus right the, yeah they see horus and it's like i think they're they're some way psychically tied to sanguinius and his death is like so rattling to them yeah. that it causes that to happen cool yeah, no, I was just, it's, there's so many like layers of like different and like things that are different connected, like, or interconnected. Oh, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's crazy. You it's never crazy. know. Crazy. So, all right. Uh, I have nothing else to talk about. That was most of the, the most interesting po- uh, points of the book that I picked up on my first time reading it. I probably won't read it again, but who knows? You might. Actually, I say I probably will because when they announce the third volume, you're going to read both of them. I uh, might do both, at least this one again for sure, just yeah. to really get myself back into you know the the headspace. Yeah. What is it like a twenty hour book, right? I think it's like eighteen. Yeah, something like that. I always, I always turn mine up to like one point one speed because yeah, I do the same thing. So sometimes the the narrator is really this. This I think how the theme the the, the or aesthetic of the book or the that this the the universe they kind of have a little bit of a slower pace. Yeah, dude. Also. Fucking hats off to Jonathan Keeble, dude. That guy is so fucking good at narrating. Yeah, 100%. He's so good. It's insane. Like, so, so talented. Anyhow, I got nothing else. Uh, I'm going to go continue on with my Saturday. Act like this never happened. Uh, yeah, go go back to uh, boring reality, I guess, is what it is. Yeah, not, not exciting. Um, Mortal Kombat in space. Yeah. Yeah, with basically superheroes and all that crazy shit. So, you've been watching uh, Invincible at all? The new second I haven't actually started it yet. No, oh, they, they, they did. They did a halfway through one, right? Like they yeah, did like a, a mid yeah. mid season break. Yeah, yeah. And they cocked us halfway through. So bastards, bastards. Well, hey, you know, so. you should. Are you? You're not just gonna paint all day. I mean, that's what you. You seem like you got the availability and uh, company over there to not to not have to do anything. That's true. That's true. I don't. I really could get away with doing nothing today. So. Really, you could, and you could just, yeah. you know, paint a whole model. I could. I could. <laughs> so, we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks guys for listening. Um, remember, you can win twenty five dollars to Games Workshop if you send us some nice intro music, some grim dark gothic intro music, or a nice thumbnail, a nice little logo for the podcast. We would appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Please enter. Please do something. <laughs> yes, thanks please. for listening peace out